The Chronic Illness Therapist podcast is meant to be a place where people with chronic illnesses can come to feel heard, seen, and safe while listening to mental health therapists and other medical professionals talk about the realities of treating difficult conditions. This might be a new concept for you, one in which you never have to worry about someone inferring that it's all in your head. We dive deep into the human side of treating complex medical conditions and help you find professionals that leave you feeling hopeful for the future. I hope you love what you learn here, and please consider leaving a review or sharing this podcast with someone you love. This podcast is meant for educational purposes only. For specific questions related to your unique circumstances, please contact a licensed medical professional in your state of residence. Alicia Dorn is a licensed clinical professional counselor in the state of Maryland. She started her career in mental health conducting research and educating college students, professors, and the surrounding community about suicide and suicide prevention. While completing her master's of science degree in mental health counseling from Johns Hopkins University, she became more personally aware of how health challenges impact mental health after being treated for chronic migraine, Lyme disease, and later relapsing remitting multiple sclerosis. She currently works as a therapist in private practice as the owner of Alicia Dorn Counseling, where she provides virtual mental health counseling services to teens, adults, and their families living with chronic illness and chronic pain. Alicia hopes that listeners can feel seen when talking about the challenges that come with living with a chronic illness when you listen to her story. Although from the outside looking in, it appears that she has it all figured out, she's successful, and all of that, grief, self-doubt, and fear have also followed her along this journey. And I personally think she did a really wonderful job at illuminating the two different sides of persevering and doing what's important to you while also managing the really hard and dark parts of this story. And I hope you enjoy our episode. Hi, Alicia. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm excited. Just a note, my voice is a little bit off. Um, I'm a little bit sick, but that's okay. Um, I'd love to know a little bit about where you practice and kind of why you got into chronic illness and working with this population as a therapist and kind of, yeah, what some of your favorite parts of this work are. Yeah, so I am a private practice owner in Maryland. So my practice is based out of Columbia, Maryland. And my practice has been open now for a little over two years. So I'm going into year three, pretty excited. And there, it's kind of a, an interesting reason, like, or just process for how I even got to this point of like, considering going into private practice for one, but then also how helping others that are living with chronic illness and um, pain conditions really became more of my compass, so to speak. So. The initial reasons that I uh, went into private practice was because I was just noticing as a therapist how some of the things that were set up systemically in a lot of areas are you meet with as many clients as you can and, you know, you just you just do it. And I was just noticing that my body wasn't responding to 
some of those demands and looking at it now, I know that those demands were actually unethical, <laughs> you know, um, but they don't necessarily tell you that when you're coming into the field, it's just like, hey, this is what you do. This is the norm. This is what's expected. You get out there, you see all these clients and you get all this experience and that's how that works. But, you know, for someone coming into the field, it's like, oh, okay, I'm burning myself out. I'm not having much time to take off. And when I realized that after having my daughter in 2018, um, that things were different for me, I was just like, okay, I have to make a shift for myself. And so then, you know, at that point, I had already worked a bit with clients with uh, particularly teens um, and some young adults with um, chronic health conditions at that time, but I wasn't full-time in it because I was, you know, working with someone else's in their, in their practice. And, you know, I saw who they assigned at that point. It wasn't a specialized practice at that point. Um, so that was my motivation to go into private practice because I could meet with as many clients that I personally knew that I could handle physically, mentally, emotionally, and I would have a lot more energy to really give to my family and to myself after I was done working. Um, so there was that one big push there of you got to take your time back and you got to make sure that you're being gentle with yourself. But how it came about with chronic health conditions and pain conditions as the primary 99% um, for my work as a therapist is it's interesting how that kind of came up, came about. Um, so when I was younger, like I did not really have much of an awareness of health conditions um, as far as like at a young age, like most people would say like, yeah, like when you're around a certain age, that's when your body's going to start doing X, Y, Z. And when you're younger, it's just like, hey, you just have all this energy. You go, I was so unaware. And then once I went to, I was actually going to college for, to be a doctor. I was majoring in bio, biomedicine and I was pre-med and I was going to go to med school. I was going to be a doctor. And even then I didn't realize that some of those demands that were there just didn't work for me and my body. And I didn't understand it then, but then I got into psychology and I switched my major my junior year. And I really started focusing in on mental health. And I started really like understanding more about how the mind and body really work together. And I started really that click started really happening for me, like, oh, okay, there's something here. And so then once I went to graduate school, and this was, you know, and this is what got me to Baltimore, actually, because I went to uh, graduate school at Johns Hopkins. It's a three-year program. And unfortunately, because of, you know, the lack of funding in that particular program at the time, I had, I and a lot of other the students there, uh, we had to work full-time jobs in addition to our program. And so I noticed then um, I worked, you know, 40 hour weeks. And then I also had my courses in the evenings starting at like 4.30 PM. Um, and then I would obviously still have homework and things of that nature to do. And then by the time I got to my last year, I had practicum, right? So then there's practicum on top of work, on top of classes and, that was just a lot. And I noticed my last year of graduate school, I was having, I literally had migraines every day for a year. 
and I did not understand. I just thought maybe this was just the stress of balancing everything. And, you know, I said to myself, like, okay, I should just go and get, get this looked at. Let me at least just take a gander here. And I talked to my doctor and they said, huh, let's run some, let's run some tests, did a scan. And they said, everything's fine. Okay. Graduate. Right. So nothing was addressed, graduated. Um, and it, the, I started feeling really sick. Um, I started having a lot of joint pain, really strong fatigue levels. I was like, okay, this is something's not right here. And I'm still having the migraines. So then the doctor referred me to a neurologist, had more brain scans. Um, they said, well, actually, one, you've been bit by a tick at some point. We don't know when, but you've got Lyme disease. So let's get you treated for that. But two, you've got some lesions here. Um, but we don't know why you have brain lesions. So we're going to just chop it up to the fact that you've had migraines every day for the last year. Um, and so that for me was a big indicator of, okay, there's something to this where this has been happening for over a year. And I don't really feel like I have solid answers, but I have something. But even then I noticed my journey there with my health was massive. All the changes that I had to make in my life as a young what, 25-year-old at the time, um, I thought I could do everything initially. And then just with being treated for the Lyme disease and the migraines, they put me on like a migraine medication. And it completely changed my life because I was literally like on my back for weeks and couldn't really function. My family was out of state. Um, and I was dating at the time, but when you're 25, you don't necessarily know <laughs> like the type of supports that you might need initially going into this when you've been so sheltered from understanding how health really affects you even at a young age. So then fast forward, um, had that treatment, I pushed through. I was supposed to be going straight forward to my doctor. I was gonna be going through and getting my clinical uh, psychology degree. Right. And again, I was going to really hone in on this mind body connection. And because of how substantial my body responded, body responded to the Lyme disease, that was just not a, an option for me at the time. Um, I had to literally postpone or indefinitely taking my graduate exam to get into a doctorate program because. By the, I, could, I could read one or two sentences on a sheet of paper and completely forget what I had read. And my boyfriend, who now is my husband, my boyfriend at the time, was having to read back to me what I read so that I could at least try to comprehend. I was like, there's no way I'm going to make it through a four-hour graduate exam to get into graduate school within where my body is right now. And that was an emotional experience for me because I had all these goals and dreams and it all was just like, nope, not right now. <laughs> um, it even postponed me even like after graduating, getting my first therapist job because I was not in the mental capacity or physical space to help work with clients. Um, and so I kept my other job, which did not really require much of the mental back and forth with a client that being a therapist really requires and being attentive and attention to those types of details. But then two years later, um, I said, you know what? Okay, I'm feeling a bit better. 
Um, let me at least try to get my feet wet and get back into what I came to Baltimore for, which was to be a therapist. And I got my first therapist job. And then that's when that whole swing of working 40, 50 hours, not having much time off. Then we got married. We had my daughter. And then fast forward a year after that, I was 11 months postpartum. And I was just having all of these really weird symptoms. And I was like, okay, like, I'm really tired. Like, you know, I'm going, you know, I'm having a hard time formulating words. I'm forgetting stuff. And everybody's like, yeah, but you know, that's mommy, mommy brain, you know, that that's expected. And I was like, something's not right. You know, even doctors are like, eh, you should be fine. But then I went back to my doctor and I, after I literally wrote down all of these symptoms that I had, and I'd even, you know, looked up online because, you know, that just kind of comes with it. You know, just I was like, okay, what is possibly happening here? And I said, okay, let me look it up. Let me get that information. And then I took it to my doctor and I said, hey, this is what I'm noticing here. This is some of the things I'm saying online. Is there any possibility that something's going on here? And my doctor then said, have you ever heard of multiple sclerosis? And I said, I've heard of it. I know a couple of people that live with it. Um, and based on what I know, it's, I'm terrified to think of me having it. And, you know, he said, well, there's a chance that you do, but we don't know. I can't diagnose that. But what I can do is refer you to an MS specializing neurologist. And he like sent messages through the portal. And that doctor said, hey, let's get her an appointment schedule. Go ahead, send her in for these scans. And I just had a brain MRI. That brain MRI, unfortunately, remember, years past, I had had another MRI that had lesions, right? So that doctor's like, hmm, so if I'm comparing the lesions from years ago to the one for today, it's actually got more lesions now on her brain. So before she comes to see me, go ahead and make sure she gets her, her two spinal MRIs so that we can figure this thing out and make sure that we have all the information we need. I see the doctor after getting my scans and she literally says, I'm so glad that you advocated for yourself because your spine is lit up like a Christmas tree right now. And there's no telling how long you've been experiencing a flare from your multiple sclerosis. And so she diagnosed me that day, 11 months, months postpartum with multiple relapsing, remitting multiple sclerosis. And I said, okay, there is a, like, obviously I don't want to say like, this is a reason for why I need to be really focusing in on it, but I think it reinforced my desire to focus in on therapy from a mind and body perspective when it comes to health, because I was living it. And it just kind of opened the window for me to see more about what my clients are likely experiencing. You know, all those dynamics of having to push and ask questions, getting information, all the doctor's appointments, all the unknowns, all the life adjustments you have to make. And so that literally, um, you know, has been the number one thing that has propelled me forward into making this more of my identified ideal client with my work as a therapist, because I realized when I was going through it, none of my providers said, you're going to be going through a lot of changes. You should speak to someone about this and get some help and support with this. I got not one therapy or mental health resources. I did get plenty of MS resources. I will say that, but I did not get recommended to speak with anyone from more of an emotional or mental level about all that was happening. And I'm like, 
why? So long story, patching, packaging all that up. Yeah, like my lived experience was the first thing um, that over time confirmed for me that this is where I need to be when it comes to the work that I'm doing as a therapist. Wow, thank you so much for sharing really in so much detail too. I think it can be really hard to share share your story with like each step of the way. And yeah, I really, um, I resonated with a few different aspects of your story too. Um, it's it's beautiful and also so hard and so um, arduous. So I, I, I appreciate that a lot. Um, there's a few questions I have in my head. So one, you've been mentioning the mind-body connection and I'm curious, like, what are some of your thoughts and philosophies and how you incorporate that? Um, I know that you do mindfulness-based, um, do you do MSBR or what, what did I read here? Mindfulness-based therapy. Okay. And mm-hmm. ACT, um, we talk about ACT all the time on this podcast, but can you tell me maybe some more of like the philosophical approach that you, you have for yourself? Like, what it means to have this mind-body connection. Um, Yeah, what are some of the thoughts that come to mind around that? Mm -hmm. So the mind-body connection is, for me, big piece of that is listening to your body and honoring where it is in the moment. Um, And not necessarily like judging that, but just being aware of what's happening so that you can consider that for yourself on, what you feel like is best for you at the time. And for me, when I pair, you know, more mindfulness and act, and I think just for me generally as a, or specifically as a person, it literally, my philosophy on all of that has lived out over these years because I was aware of my body, even with small things here and there, I was aware of it. And I didn't judge myself for my body having certain symptoms and my doctor saying, mm, no, nah, I don't think so. Instead, it's like, okay, this is where you are right now. And how do you support yourself where you are? You know, this is really hard for you right now. How do you go from here, giving yourself the compassion to get through what's going right now? You don't necessarily always have to change it. You don't necessarily have to immediately have, you know, a sense of rushing through it, even though when you've got (laughs) migraines at the time or other things that's going on with your body that are interfering with other areas of life. I've learned personally that when I try forcing things, um, I'm likely not being very mindful and I'm not considering how that's affected me emotionally. So um, examples of that in the past have been you know, forcing myself to go to a choir rehearsal when my migraines were so bad that I could barely see straight. And I would be lying down in the, in the chairs. I would put like a few chairs together and literally lie, lie down um, just to get through the chorus rehearsal. But I'm like holding my head like this, grimacing in pain. And I'm like trying to sing. And I'm like, wait a minute this is not being compassionate with yourself. Like, I know that you have these things that you want to do, Alicia, but 
are you really being mindful about how this is affecting you? And what I noticed in those, those years, and this was still in my 20s when I was still in grad school, I was very anxious, um, irritable, um, and I was not really as in touch as I could have been at the time um, with what my needs were. And I think there are a lot of things that contributed to that, whether it's societal norms as a therapist, you just kind of keep going, whether it's the doctors are saying, hey, like you should be fine, or me as a black woman where I'm, you know, coming from that mindset of you just push through, like this is what we know, like we know that there's adversity, you're not always going to feel good, but you have to, you know, put your pants on, you have to push through and do it because otherwise if you don't, you're going to miss out on certain things in your life. And I think those messages, although they were a way to help me cope and endure, they did not help me really be in touch with how my body needed me to be present with it and how, and then in turn, it just really significantly negatively impacted my mental health, even in a graduate program for mental health counseling, right? It just was completely out of balance there. And so that philosophy all goes back to self-compassion. It all does. And I think if I were to tell myself then as the person I am now, like, you know, how to be self-compassionate, I would give myself permission not to go to a rehearsal at the end of a day after having worked a full day and done practicum work and gone to class if my body was not in a, in a position to do it. And I would tell myself like, it's okay, you know? You read my mind because I was about to ask you like, how, how do you recommend now, like finding balance and, you know, reaching your goals and reaching your dreams and doing the things that really are important to you, knowing that if you hadn't pushed through, you wouldn't be here today, but also there were consequences that came along with it. That's something I think a lot of us grapple with. And I'm curious what you think about that. That's, man, there's so much decision fatigue that comes with figuring out, you know, do I do this at this cost or do I not? Um, this is really important to me. You know, what's going to happen to me and my body? Am I going to feel well enough after I get this done? Truthfully, I have the same thoughts even when washing the dishes, right? That's like the one chore that I am just not a fan of. Um, and I can wash the dishes. And for some people, it's like, yep, it's going to wash them, set them aside. Me, I'm probably sweating a little bit. Um, my back is probably hurting a little bit and I am, my arms are feeling tired by the time I'm done with 10 minutes of washing the dishes, or it probably will take me a little bit longer. Like my husband can probably get those dishes done like that. And I'm like, it's been 15 minutes and I'm just getting done with these dishes. Um, you know, and I can like laugh, you know, nowadays and like, okay, I know that it just takes me more time, but you know, I would just say like how to go about balancing that out is I will first say, remember that goal that I told you I had about going back for um, my doctorate in clinical psych. I still grieve that goal to this day because it's something that I, I wanted to do for so long. Um, and there's a part of me that felt like I, that I missed out on my window of time to do that. Um, and that sometimes does still hurt a bit. So being honest and open about those, that grief and the feeling of loss with certain things, but then also like there are moments where it's like, okay, if I'm going to give myself permission to do this, because you have to give yourself permission to move forward with something, no matter what it is, consider for yourself, like, okay, 
how am I, what, what, what are my needs right now? What are my current needs right now? What is my body telling me right now? So going right back into that body connection. Okay, what's my body prone to do right now? What does it need right now? Is my body more prone to be super tired by this time of day? Do I need more hydration? Do I need more naps? Do I need more support from other people right now? What is it that I need? Um, and then if I do decide to go towards a goal, um, that goal then will be like, okay, how do I accomplish that goal in ways that work for me, not for other people? Um, are the thoughts that I'm having in my head right now coming from me because this is something that I really feel connected with and that I feel is going to be beneficial for me? Or is this thought pattern that I'm having right now coming from other places? Maybe other people are doing this thing right now. Um, maybe there were expectations that you previously had of yourself that are saying, hey, you know, you really need to go ahead and do this, even though you probably don't. Like truthfully, like as we talked about, I have a private practice. I'm a business owner. You know, I'm taking care of myself. I'm connecting well with my clients. So I really have to go back to my doctorate. No, it's something that I toy around with thinking about doing here and there. Yes. But when I go back and think about it, I ask myself like, hmm, okay, how will all of those demands in my schedule affect me right now? And if I go back and do that, does the program that I'm considering going into support me in taking care of myself? Because the last one didn't, you know, and I have to go back and consider that and allow myself permission to just go step by step. I don't have to take on so much at one time. Um, and I can focus on being present with my family if I do it in ways that work for me right now. And if I am not going back for my doctorate, like it's a disappointment, but I would much rather be disappointed with not doing that as long as I am in touch with my body and my family. And I think those are the things, the values that are more important to me. And those values really help me keep that in balance. Yeah, no, that's beautifully explained. Thank you. Um, I have nothing to add to that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I, I didn't have the same longing for a PhD the way that you're describing, but I toyed with it. I thought about it and I, I did come to the conclusion, like, well, what, what do I want to do? I want to talk to people. I want to help people in hour long sessions, um, you know, basically improve their lives and live a life that's full of meaning and purpose. And I don't need a a doctorate for that. I don't, I don't want to teach and I don't want to do assessments and testing. So that's how I came to that decision. Um, Yeah. And values always values, you know, what do I want my life to look like? And for me too, it's family. Family is always going to be, if I, if I have my family and I'm there and I'm present, the losses that I might have otherwise are, it's worth losing. Yeah. And it's so hard though. Like when you have all these societal messages and expectations, it's just like, it's almost, it's, it really can kind of bring on that sense of failure for you as a person, if those messages are so strong and loud, you know, um, you know, I grew up where, you know, both of my parents were encouraging my brother and I to go for the highest degree possible. And granted for me, I know that there's a racial component to it. I'm from this, I'm from Tennessee. And I know that there is 
a component um, with race where there's a sense of inferiority where it's like, in order to be respected, you need to try to go for the highest level of education as possible. And I, you know, I understand now like where that was coming from, you know, um, and a lot of my, my friends that I grew up with, they got those doctorates, right? So like they're, whether it's a doctorate in nursing or this or that, or, you know, even now, like my best friend is finishing up their residency, you know, with, you know, as a OBGYN. And that was a lot of time, but they, they, but they got there. And if I'm not careful, those voices can come back and those expectations of you got to go for this. This is the standard of success for you. I could look at all these other friends and what they're doing and look at myself if I'm not careful and say, I should be doing that. And unfortunately, society can really tie expectations of your career, your family and what that looks like, whether it's having kids, not having kids, how many kids you have, what your body looks like. There's all these different like expectations that are thrown out there. And unfortunately, they don't really fit for you, especially if you have chronic health conditions. It's like, mm, is that really being fair to myself to hold myself to that standard? And don't get me wrong, I respect anybody who goes forward and does these things and reaches certain goals. But some of those goals can be really damaging and can really not only be damaging physically to your health needs, but it can really play a role on how you see yourself as a person. And what we know, you know, from that mind-body perspective is if you're really like taking in those types of messages, that can really increase depression and anxiety. And over time, that can really cause more decline to your health when those messages are what's like guiding you um, without really understanding the role that it's playing with your with your health. And so for me, like just knowing where those messages come from, like my upbringing isn't going anywhere. The messages in society aren't going anywhere. As I tell my clients all the time, those messages, the, that training you've got over your time, like they can ride in the car with you, you know, but they don't have to drive it. Like you can determine for yourself where you want this car to go. And if it's not worth you, you know, pushing yourself to the limit just to meet a societal standard um, that's more harmful for you, like you, you, you have the permission to figure out the, another, the next best option for yourself to really feel like your life is still fulfilling. And that's still very much possible for you if you listen to your values. Now, I'm obviously not saying like certain health conditions make that easy right? Because sometimes, you know, even with just making tweaks and living with whatever our health conditions bring on, it's hard. Um, it could be very painful, um, debilitating at times. So I'm not going to paint the picture and say, it's a fairy tale. It's easy because it's not. And I'm living proof that it's not. But at the same time, that balance and filtering out those societal messages can actually really help make it a bit more easier to carry. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, I'm curious where, like how you were able to bring in new messages for yourself, given that one, your upbringing and two, all your friends are all, they also kind of lived that dream. What, 
help did you have other influences obviously your body was like look this is this is what's actually happening but were there other external influences that were helpful for you in coming to peace with that for me going to my own therapy has been really helpful um just prioritizing my own mental health um which they tell you about in grad school, right? But it's like, oh, therapists should see their own therapist because you spend all your day focusing on everyone else's life. You gotta have somebody else to kind of help you focus in on your life. So that's been really important to me um, to kind of help me see moments where I'm not being fair for myself, but seeing also where those messages come from. Um, but then also I think having my daughter and having to be present with her health needs over time has helped me to see where some that some of those messages that I had, even when it came to parenting, wasn't helping her. And I'm like, okay, if my messaging for parenting has affected her in these ways when she's only four, how are my messaging affecting me taking care of myself? Um, and I also take a lot more time to be intentional about like even on social media, who am I following? What type of messaging am I taking in on that? Um, am I following a lot of people that are focusing in on, you know, no pain, no gain type, you know, messaging when it comes to exercising or doing certain things, or am I following people who their focus is on goals, but they, um, maybe promote messages of if you're not up by 6am, the rest of the world is working and making that money and you're not being productive enough. If I'm taking in those types of messages, I notice when I was um, taking in some of those messages for some very popular celebrities, I would feel really bad about myself afterwards. And it would, I would get stuck mentally in those places sometimes. And I just got to a point where I was just like, I, I don't think I agree with that message anymore. So unfollow, unfollow. I even find myself even now <laughs> with social media, I will go through or even YouTube, I will go through and like, even if it's just once a quarter on average, maybe twice a year, I will go through and be like, all right, how many of these accounts do I need to unfollow? They either don't work for me right now um, or I just, they don't post anything or it's just not working for me personally. Detach, detach, like release myself from that. And I think those types of messages, including books, you know, being intentional about turning screens off, just reading in more, personally fulfilling information for myself, I think has been all a part of filtering out those messages and helping myself to be like, all right, this is me today. This is me today. That message doesn't work for me and I don't have to accept it on. Sometimes I have to catch myself and be like, okay, am I, am I chewing on a message here that maybe didn't taste very good? Um, sometimes my husband even has to notice that like, you sure? But that's taking practice. I will say it. It's not always, <laughs> but you yeah. know, he'll even say like, mm, you sure that works for you? And I'm like, you know what? It doesn't. Let me, <laughs> let me chill out. Let, let me take a chill here and, and figure this out. And it's, it's a process. Yeah. You know, before technology, the most we, the amount of people we tended to know from birth to death was 150 throughout our whole lifespan and now you can you can hear 150 opinions on TikTok in an hour yeah. like it's it's really not good for our brains um and then there's this like message I think too of like 
how unfollowing people or like only like watching things within your sphere is like it means you're closed-minded or it means you're like I hear that sometimes from people and I'm like no this is safety like mm-hmm. we're not supposed to be exposed to that many people and that many opinions like it's confusing you have to have a a base you have to have a base of what your own foundation is and kind of know what you believe in and what you stand for. And then absolutely like expose yourself to new ideas and new things and differing opinions, like 100%. But this constant barrage of like this opinion, that opinion, and it's all opinion. No one knows what's fact anymore on social media. I feel like, so yeah. Yeah. And I'm curious too, what some of your self-reflection practices are. You go to therapy but do you do anything specifically around reflecting like times of the month or times of the day? Or is it kind of, is it random? I tend to be a bit more self-reflective in the morning once the brain fog kind of wears off, <laughs> uh, just being honest. Um, so uh, yeah, so like during my, my breakfast, um, my cup of coffee, Usually by that time, my daughter's off to school, my husband's off to work, and that's where there's just more quiet time. And that really helps me, especially when I'm not working with clients at that time. I got to like find ways to like reconnect with myself. Other ways that I find are very helpful for me to, um, to do that is on walks. Going on walks, especially like we went on a walk yesterday, let me tell you, the thoughts were just there. It's something about being in touch with nature um that I find is so reassuring mentally but it also just allows my thoughts to just kind of freely just kind of go and I feel so much more refreshed and I don't mean this is like power walking this is just a leisurely stroll on the trail you know just taking that time in I'm noticing squirrels with my daughter and I'm noticing deer that's walking by of course I'm like deer stay over there no Lyme disease like stay over there right <laughs> it's a little bit of I feel you that's that's my diagnosis as well um yeah was my first diagnosis but yeah just I'm, being in touch with nature for sure really helps I do journaling occasionally but I find especially if it's something that I feel like I need to talk through I will journal um primarily once my daughter is in bed um, really carving out that time where I'm not going to have that interruption and I'll carve it out in a journal specifically so that if it's something that I need to talk about with someone else it kind of gives me more of that filter first to just kind of put it all out there and then I can more concisely communicate those needs or thoughts with others that I need to communicate it to yeah I like that you mentioned like it it doesn't have to be a journaling doesn't have to be a daily practice it's just when you need it it's one tool in the toolbox. Um, and it does, it helps kind of just clear all that extra chatter so you can be more concise with who you want to talk to. Yeah. Um, all really, really great tips. I love going for walks and slowing down. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing, right? And, um, I, yeah, I know you mentioned just being a black woman and having this pressure of like, we have to excel, we have to succeed. Um, and I think the real, the real, what's the word, um, uh, rebellion, I guess, is, is the slowing down, is the Mm -hmm. doing less. Yeah, it's definitely, um, 
a new way of a different way of looking at life when you've been told completely differently that this is what you need to do and it's ultimately why a lot of you know black women in particular like we are like some of the like the most we have some of the, the highest college graduate levels right now um and a lot of us nowadays are working really high level jobs because we've had these societal pressures of like push 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 and there's nothing wrong if that's a goal of yours but you know if you it's perfectly okay if you notice that it doesn't work for you if you're not really in connection with yourself wow i think that's beautiful um i wanted to read what you had written on your form because I just love the way that you wrote it. Um, my question to my interviews, people I'm interviewing is, what is your biggest pet peeve about how people with chronic conditions are treated in this country or world? And you wrote, it concerns me that the majority of people in the U.S. alone have a chronic condition, but the societal messaging around it is incredibly skewed and ableist. If you're ill, it's mostly assumed that you're not doing enough of something to feel well. I'm also grateful for medical advances, but concerned that not enough professionals are providing trauma-informed care, causing more harm to clients with chronic conditions. Also the lack of training and resources that schools and businesses have to support their chronically ill students and employees leaves people feeling abandoned and left to figure things out themselves. And you know, we've been talking about this this whole this whole episode, but I just I don't know, something about the way that you wrote that felt really concise and beautiful. Um, and I, especially the piece, I think that hit me the most is like, if you're ill, you're, it's assumed you're not doing enough of something to feel well. So not even like you're not doing enough, uh, in your business or in your career, you know, it's also like, if you're not feeling well, you should be drinking more water, eating a carnivore diet, eating a vegan diet, like (laughs) eating, you know, taking this supplement, that medication. And if you're not you know, if you are not doing all of the things and you have no excuse to say like anything, it, it yeah. Yeah. I'm curious. It's, about your- yeah. It's, it's really a, it's, it's an interesting, sometimes funny, but it's really not funny. And so when I say funny, I mean like an ironic, like, are you serious? Kind of funny. Um, where we're so, the society is so wellness and health driven that we don't really, even as a, at a young age, like we're not really taught that one, not all illnesses can be cured. Uh, and two, sometimes you have to, certain, certain illnesses aren't necessarily because you've done something wrong. You know, some people are born with their health conditions. Some people are more prone to certain health conditions for different reasons. Um, no one in my family has MS that I know of. I'm the first from what I know. Um, but, you know, I still have had family members that say, uh, you, you shouldn't be too tired. Like you just got up. Yeah, no, that, that, that happens with that. Or if you're tired, you should just go take a nap and that should help you feel more tired. No, ma'am, Pam, that's not the way this works. You know, it's like, you have to like, there's this pressure to inform people about what's going on instead of society putting things in place to inform society about the fact that the majority of people out here have at least one chronic health condition, right? At least like six in 10 people have in the United States have one, right? Four out of 10 have more than one. But for whatever reason, the majority of people that have a chronic health condition, for whatever reason, 
we're treated as a minority. We are the majority. And so why is society not equipping people with the knowledge of how to support someone with a health condition? Why is it that people don't understand that the awkward stares or just completely not saying anything or not knowing like, hey, reaching out to your friend if you hadn't heard them in a while is actually a good thing. Um, even if they can't answer, it really does make them feel good potentially that you at least thought enough of them to check in on them. Um, and just not understanding that blaming someone for their illness does not actually help. Um, and even if you do have thoughts that someone maybe isn't doing enough, um, keep it to yourself. <laughs> like, nobody cares like what your initial thought is. It's not gonna help them feel any better in the moment. Just yeah. think about how you can show up for them in the moment. And unfortunately, society needs a lot of work on how to show up for us right now. I think going back to like this whole, we used to only know 150 people, I think it's overwhelming how many different people we know these days. It makes it really hard to know how to be there. Even within my own friend group, like a few of us just had babies and it's just so interesting. Like, so I was the first in my friend group to have a kid. And I remember thinking like, this is what I, this is what I would like as far as support. And then as soon as my friends had their kids, like I'm still struggling with like, how do I support them in particular? And of course, then we talk about it and, and we figure that out. But just that initial thought of like, I, I still don't know because we all come from such vastly different backgrounds. Whereas when you grew up in a, a village or, you know, in a small tight knit community, there's an unspoken cultural connotation around everything that everyone just kind of knows. So there's pros and cons to all of that, but yeah. um, it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming to kind of know how to treat each person in your life who all of them have such drastically different needs. Um, yeah. 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 And I think, you know, one of my things that I usually recommend for families is don't rely on your chronically ill loved one to give to, to give you all the information. Really take the time to do your own research and learn more in your own personal time about your loved one's particular needs and what are some things that could be experienced. You know, what are some ways that you can learn about what they go through on a day-to-day -day basis, just so that you can kind of have more of a baseline or a fair assessment of what's really happening. Because even though you don't see it, doesn't mean something's not happening. And although they may, may be dressing the part or you know they may look a certain way, it doesn't mean that they're not feeling unwell. Um, most people that I know that live with chronic pain, you probably wouldn't know it until you ask the question. And so like really just understanding that, you know, having a chronic illness doesn't look one way and understanding that allowing yourself the permission to inform yourself, whether you're the chronically ill person or the one with the chronically ill loved one, it all makes a difference. And it could be any topic, but that, that you need to, you know, really, or that you could benefit from informing yourself on, whether it's, you know, supporting postpartum moms or, you know, anything. Like, if you don't necessarily feel equipped to support, it's okay. Like, you know, you're not a bad person necessarily because you don't know, but what do you do with that lack of knowledge is the question. 
you give yourself permission to say, you know what, I don't have to have all the information, but I'm definitely hoping to find this out because this is going to bring me closer to supporting my loved one and showing up for them. Yeah. And when you're doing that research, you know, because a lot of the partners or parents of my clients, like they'll bring things that they've read and be like, here, like this will like fix you or this will like make you better. And so when you're doing that research, I would just encourage that you're coming at it from a place of just having like, kind of like you said, like a general base knowledge of what their daily experience is and just leave the fixing out of it and just and for, and for the person too, because our society, we just don't know how to handle hard emotions. So go to your own therapy too. Like if you're struggling to be there for a loved one, a therapist can absolutely help you with that. Like, yeah. I think this is where our society is getting better about therapy, but just to reiterate, like you don't have to be, and in fact, people who go to therapy aren't broken or, you know, some kind of like therapists are here to help you navigate relationships like that that's really what we do at the end of the day so yeah um it's important when you're when you're trying to be there for a loved one to just ask a lot of open-ended questions and then listen and not give a whole lot of advice I agree and I often hear where you know there's some a lot of concerns about just talking about your health by itself um like what are people going to say when I tell them about my condition, you know, are they going to believe me? Are they going to blame me? Um, Or are they going to have their own emotional moment? And are they going to expect me to make them feel better um, as they carry their feelings? And there's a lot of, you know, responses that can come when expressing, you know, what's going on with you to someone else. It's obviously your decision as the person that's living with a health condition to share or not to share. Um, And so I am never gonna be someone that says you have to share, but the consensus that I usually share is, what what is it that you will get out of sharing potentially, regardless of their response? What is it that you're hoping to get out of the sharing? Is it just, you're just hoping for them to know? That's that. Are you hoping for some support? Um, And just kind of understanding that not everybody is, is as equipped to support as we would like. Um, and that's not always an easy thing to, to live with. And I know a lot of people, as we talked about, are not fully equipped to do that at the time. Doesn't mean that they can't. But again, I think it's all about considering what you want to share, why you're sharing, and who you're sharing it with. If the person that you're sharing it with has shown you time and time again these red flags that they're not supportive um, in other areas of your life, Um, and they've been pretty consistent. I'm not saying completely (laughs) rule them out, but I would say trust your judgment there and consider if you do share how much is really best for you to share. There are some things in this that are still within your control and you don't have to have a full out 30 minute conversation about your health challenges and your, your diagnosis and what that means for you. But it literally could just be that you're letting them know, even in so many words, like, hey, I'm going through some health challenges right now. And so you might not see me out at this, you know, at outings as much, um, but I do, it's on my heart to do it. But right now I'm just taking some time for me. Blanket, right? You don't have to say, hey, I have MS and these are my symptoms. And these are all the changes I've happened to make in my life. And this is what I need. Depending on the person, that conversation may not be the conversation that's best. 
And I think for you, like go with your gut and do what's best for you at the time. And I think honestly, that's most important right now. Just what, why, who? <laughs> yes. I love that. That's exactly, I, I think I give the exact same spiel to my clients. <laughs> Knowing why and who you're talking to, like, what do you expect? expect out of it and um can they give that to you are they are they able and sometimes it's, it's especially hard I think when it's the person's partner spouse um and this is probably a whole other topic for a whole other episode um Esther Perel <laughs> she talks a lot about do you do you listen to any of Esther Perel's stuff yeah she talks yeah. a lot about it's just like your partner can't be your everything um I think over time over a 30 year period y'all can work toward that but you have to know what everyone in your life is capable of. And then do you, is that okay with you? Like, is that okay with you as a, as a couple? Um, do we agree that right now this is all we can give each other and I'll get my other needs met in other ways. Um, and that's an ongoing conversation. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of grief that comes with that if they're not ready or equipped to support you the way that you need to. And it's okay to give yourself the, that time to really grieve that and come like and what I mean by grieve that is take in and acknowledge the feelings that you have without judgment so if you're feeling sad about it give yourself permission to feel sad about it because clearly this is something where you're there's some disappointment there's some letdown um if you're worried about how that's going to affect your relationship allow, allow yourself to you know be present with those emotions and figure out okay I'm concerned about this right now how do I take care of myself as I, if, as I sit with these feelings, I don't have to immediately act on them, but how do I allow myself to sit with this in ways that work for me right now? Um, and it may not be immediately that I need to have a whole big drawn out argument or conversation about it, because that might be a trigger for your health challenges <laughs> at the moment anyway, you know, so just allow yourself to navigate that. And if you need support with somebody to process that and really like figure out where's the, be the best next step, allow yourself permission to do that. These have been such great tips and advice and such, such a great conversation. I'm just so glad that we were able to talk today. Um, is there anything else that you feel is important to share before we end today? I would just say, trust your gut here. Um, be gentle with yourself. You know, living with health conditions can be challenging, but there could still be meaningful moments along the journey doesn't mean that everything is going to be enjoyable, um, but you can find some meaningful moments in your life if you allow yourself to really just be patient with yourself and be gentle with yourself and not, and not have the expectation to fix everything. Like, it's okay. Surround yourself with people that care about you um, and be open to building other community of others that maybe are better equipped to support you. Thank you so much. And you were on a different podcast talking about motherhood and chronic illness. What podcast was that? Managing Motherhood with Orlisa Poole. Okay. So people can go and listen to that if they, if that's a topic they're interested in. Your Instagram is Alicia Dorn Counseling and your website is aliciadorncounseling.com. Mm -hmm. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook, Alicia Dorn Counseling. Yeah. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you.
If you learned something new today, consider writing it down in your phone notes or journal and make that new neural pathway light up. Better yet, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a DM on Instagram, email me, or leave a voice memo for us to play on the next show. The way you summarize your takeaways can be the perfect little soundbite that someone else might need in order to better absorb the same lesson. Lastly, leaving a review really helps others find this podcast, so please do so if you found this episode helpful.